we're looking at Advent. We just, Brian just talked to, to, to us about it, about joy today. I want to I wanna talk a little bit about peace. And, and I want to take, I want to kind of use a very common uh, verse that we use and use that as a springboard. But before I, before I go to that, I just want to say, this is the time of year, right, where all the sappy movies are out. You know, I mean, George Bailey finds out he's really wanted and that his life matters. And Buddy the Elf is reconciled to his father in spite of everything that was done over years and years. The Grinch's heart grows three sizes that night. Rudolph finds that his greatest embarrassment is his greatest asset. Scrooge magically becomes a new man overnight because of a dream. Because of a dream. Sometimes I eat pizza late at night, and I have bad dreams. They don't change me. I'm just saying, it's, you know, we have these movies. Now, why, why then these movies that, you know, if you really kind of look at them, you say, this is ridiculous. Life doesn't work. Why do they resonate with us? Why, why do they kind of, kind of touch us? It's because they touch on something that Ecclesiastes says, God put eternity in their hearts. They touch on something where we go, there is a rightness here. You know, why do we love sometimes the, the videos, you know, of, of, of a kid who could never make a football team and they take him on and they let him run a play and everybody lets him score a touchdown and it's just so happy and everybody's thrilled, everybody's cheering. Why do we love that? Because those, those are echoes of what is right, of what should be, how life should be. And they touch us because they push an idea. They push an idea that reconciliation can happen. Forgiveness is possible. I am wanted. Loneliness can be overdone, can be you know, turned over and will be gone. I'm worth something. There is something in this world greater, worth living for. Now, it's interesting because all of these are mentioned and dealt with in the Bible. And our culture... Our culture, and interesting, some of the books I read, there's a book named Dominion by, a, by an author. He's, he's not a Christian, but he just talks about how so much of what we look at in this world as human rights, uh, um, um, equality, all those types of things, they came from biblical, they started with the Bible, and then they worked into society through people who are emphasizing that the Bible needs to be obeyed, and the Bible has a rule of morality that we should follow. And now, our culture has adopted those things, but what has happened is our culture has discarded the Bible, right? And here's the problem, because our, you want this kingdom, but you don't want the king when you're in that kind of situation. And, and, and all of these things are a shadow. They're a shadow of something real, something that touches our heart, that we go, man, if only life was that way, right? Our children grow up wanting to be, you know, people who do great things. And we kind of we kind of socialize them into expecting that now that's not going to happen. And in this passage we see this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace of the greatness of his government, and the peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. 
the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what do we see here when we just, and I want to use this as a springboard, but I want you to think about this. What do we see here? We see, first of all, it's a child. It starts there, and we all think of this as Christmas, you know, the baby Jesus. And, and, and you know, we can talk about how funny, funny uh, illustrations of people go, yeah, I just love the baby Jesus, right? But that little baby comes with an incredible amount of baggage in it. So that baby comes loaded because that baby is coming to die. The whole point, the whole purpose there. He's coming to accomplish something with his life. And today we want to look at that peace that he brings. And this will happen when he, it'll reach fruition, not when he's a child, but as a man, when he goes to the cross. And all of this is looking to that. And I love the last line there. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That word zeal in the Hebrew is a word that has this intense passion, this incredible desire and drive for something. It's to want something desperately. It's to do whatever it takes to get something or to make something happen. And there's the zeal of the Lord that is going to make this happen. This passion, this drive, this desperately saying, I want this to happen. And the zeal of the Lord is you. It's me. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. It's us. That is what is motivating God passionately to send his son. This is what is motivating Jesus passionately to come, knowing he's coming to die. This is what is motivating the spirit of God passionately to take the word, to apply it to people's hearts, to see people change, to see people come to Jesus. So let's go to this. If, I, if we're his zeal, let's go to when t- Jesus talked about peace that he has for us. At least one aspect of that peace where this zeal is manifested. Now, we know when the angels were first announcing peace, they're using the word peace as that the war is now the, the possibility of peace, the war is over, the war between God and man in a sense. This separation now can be healed. But Jesus took that and he went further with it. And I want to go back because I, I want to just remind us of something here. We need peace. We need it. The, the uh, disciples, you know, as, as things were going on and Jesus starts talking to them and John, we're going to look at that. They're anxious and they're fearful. They've seen and heard things that they don't understand. Jesus is suddenly talking about things like betrayal. He's talking about death. And it's scary to them. He's going to the Father. They can't comprehend it. And so the context that Jesus is going to talk about peace here in John that we're going to look at is the context is fear, it's apprehension, it's confusion. And we know these, we know these feelings. We know what it is to lose sleep. We know what it is to have trouble going to sleep. We know what it is to wake up in the middle of the night and toss and turn because something is just getting to you. We know what it is to fear. We know what it is to feel helpless. We know what it is to fear anxiety. Anxiety is a tremendous issue in this world as people fear for their health or their wealth or their kids or relationships. And I know, you know, it's... We talk about this a lot, but we, when the circumstances are good, we are at peace and we are comfortable. 
You know, it was this way for the disciples. Earlier on, Jesus is doing these miracles. He's doing healings. It's like, this is awesome. It's awesome. And they're loving it. They're still struggling with figuring out what's going on, but it's like, this is great. And then suddenly what happens? Jesus starts saying, look, I'm leaving. And they're like, this is terrible. And then circumstances get bad and they struggle just like we do. So there's all these kinds of fears, these kinds of anxieties, fear of loss of reputation. Maybe people will think that I'm insignificant or I will think that I'm insignificant or I'm not as impressive in real life as I am on social media. We fear speaking the truth in difficult situations, whether it's a professional fear or a personal fear, wondering what the repercussions will be. We fear loss of comfort, whether it's financially or medically or relationally. We fear loss of control. We fear loss of physical safety. And all of this, I think a lot of this is bound up in that idea of loss of control because for the, for the disciples, they thought everything's going great. We got big crowds, you know, Jesus has got this incredible power. We've been able to experience it. The future looks bright. And it's like, wait, you're talking about leaving? You're talking about death? We can't go on without you. And so in the midst of this, Jesus offers peace. And I want, to, I want you to see this. So we say we need peace. Now, look, what is this peace? And here it is, one aspect of it, because the Bible has this multifaceted approach in many, in, in many things. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back and I am coming back to you if you love me. You would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happened, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Now, uh, the word for peace here is, is arene. It's the Greek kind of trans, what the, they would use uh, the Greek word to mean shalom. That would be the, the thing that they would, the Greek word shalom would be something that was such so meaningful for them. And it's hard to define what shalom means because it has a, has a lot of uh, different meanings, all related, but there's this wholeness to it. There's this fullness to it. It's a flourishing socially. It's a flourishing relationally. It's a flourishing spiritually. It just means you're being what you were made to be. And it's this idea that all these different things are finding their place in your life. When I was a kid, uh, growing up in the, in the Washington, D.C. area, they had this program you know, they wanted to culture us. And so they would take kids to, uh, to listen to the, the National Philharmonic Symphony. They'd have, they'd have school days where a whole, you know, there'd be five or 600 kids from all these schools coming to listen. And they would, it was actually, it was pretty good, you know, for a little kid. You always wonder if little kids like that kind of stuff. It, it was good, at least for me, because what they did is they geared it to kids. Like they would say, we're going to listen to this song. And the song, I still remember it, uh, um, um, uh, yeah, I still remember it. Sure, I do. Uh, Ravel, Ravel's Bolero. Ravel's Bolero is the name, uh, the name of it. And what happens is they'd give you a piece of paper and they would say, as this plays, first you're going to hear a flute. Like you're just going to start just with a drum. And then you'll hear a flute. And then the symphony rolls in. And then the symphony backs off. Now you're going to hear a bassoon, which I always, the name bassoon is just a great name. It's just a great name. You, then you hear this bassoon, and then the symphony would roll in with it, and they'd all, they'd all come together. And then you're gonna, and they, it's broken in, I think it's 10 different sections. Boom, 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 each one. 
And what it does is it, it rises, rises, rises to this, I'm getting excited just talking about it. It rises to a crescendo where it's just like, it's just hammering you. It was so loud in the concert hall. It was incredible. And it was this whole thing of every, you could just see every different instrument. You know, all these people, 50, 60 people, they were in perfect unison. And it made something that stirred you. You know, you can listen to music, but when you hear something that's incredibly well done, you feel it. It stirs you, right? And this is shalom. This is shalom. Every single part begins to operate in unison, in concert. God orchestrates this thing where your life suddenly, and this is why I'm so excited about what Phil and Bill are talking about doing as, in, in, in growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is an effort to bring everything in to unison in your life and allowing the, the conductor, as it were, to take control. And then what happens? Something beautiful happens. Something incredible comes out of what is not that incredible. So he says, I'm giving you peace, not as the world gives. See, there's two kinds of peace. The common uh, idea of peace, when this was written, all right, when Paul wrote this, there was a huge theme of peace going on in the world at that point. And the theme of peace was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that Rome had tamed all these areas and brought peace, but it was peace at a price. And, and during that time, there was a significant amount of time where there was political and there was financial peace in the known world. But it came at a cost, and the co it came at the point of a sword through power and subjugation. It was peace through fear. If you disagreed with Rome to keep the peace, they eliminated you. And they enforced that peace mercilessly. And that's the world's way, peace through fear. You know, parents, we know this works, right? We know this works. You threaten your child, and they'll come up. They're like, okay, okay, you know, right? They'll do it because fear can work but it doesn't change anybody's heart. We know this is true, right? We know this is true. The other day I had to go to a doctor's appointment and uh, over, by, over by Patrick Henry Airport, there's a three-way stop and, and it is, it's a shootout. It is just like, you see, when I, one of the times I was there, it was two guys and you could just see got one guy saying, I was first. And the other guy, no, you were first. And I'm just going, oh, this is gonna be, I'm gonna, can I back up? Can I get away from here in case somebody's got a gun? You know, it just is crazy. Then, then went, went back, went back to, for this to talk about it more. And uh, there was a police car very prominently parked in the grass by the three-way stop at the airport. And suddenly it was a miracle, a Christmas miracle. Everybody was like, you know, coming to a complete stop is really the way we should behave these days. And no, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first. I can wait right? Suddenly, everybody was polite. Everyone came to, I mean, it was like er, complete stops because they're suddenly going, oh, poop. there's, you know, there's the popo, boop, and we stop like that. Now, did anybody's heart change? No. How do you know, Bob? I know because I came back by there three days later, and it was, the cop was gone, and so it was, it was the Wild West all over again. You see, this is the thing, 
people's heart don't change when fear is involved. And what is the fear? The, I mean, and, and, but it works. It works, right? Everybody was stopping when the police are there. That, and we got to have laws. Don't think I'm anti-law or anything like that. But Jesus offers something different. He offers a peace that comes from a changed heart. He offers peace from fear. Not, not by power, but by sacrifice. Not through a show of strength, but through service. Jesus shows this by giving up. So three quick things about peace. First one, I want you to see, it is unfolding. It is a process. He says in verse 29, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Like Jesus knows, you guys aren't gonna understand this right now, but you will. Let me tell you, this, this is a common theme in my life. I learn things I learn things from the word of God. And I think, yeah, okay, that's really good. Okay. But then something happens in my life that it suddenly, I go, oh, this is it. Uh, you will find that will happen, can happen with you too. He's saying, I want you to understand this is a process. You will understand better and it will work better and change you more as your life unfolds. And he's speaking to people here who don't have peace. They're struggling with fear. Fear is a constant theme, especially in John, as it gets towards the end. But interestingly, peace is the recurring theme that always follows the fear theme. Because he wants us to understand. He says, I understand you fear. I'm not mad at you, but there's a better way. And peace is always that recurring theme. It is always there. It's, it's like Brian mentioned, going and seeing a sunrise. And 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 if you've done that, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting, it's a stirring thing, I should say. Because at first it's dark, and, but then there's these hints, just hints of light, then a glow, then the edge of the sun appears. And then as it's revealed, clearly the full brightness of day. And that process of revealing is how the Christian life is for us. It's, it's a process. Now, it's a process in spite of the fact that the battle is won. Because we know, we know Jesus when he rose from the dead, at the cross and raising from the dead, victory was accomplished for us. It's assured for us, but we still fight. We still struggle, and we still struggle with fear. And we have to ask ourselves, am I in constant fear? Is there anxiety over losing control, losing comfort, losing success? Is peace growing in my life? Am I in this process of growing, or have I stagnated? Bill mentioned that. Have I become comfortable and stayed at one level, or even uncomfortable and stayed at one level? It's unfolding. Second thing I want you to see, it's personal. It's personal, because it's relational. Jesus is saying, look, this is a process that we're in this together. I've been reading recently um, um, a guy, he talks about um, theories and ideas of how children develop and, and how that applies. And this guy, this guy's a Christian, and so he makes some interesting applications. But one thing that's really big right now is they call it the four S's. In, in, they say if a child, like a, new, a newborn baby, if as they grow in those first few years especially, if they get the four S's, then what happens, and it doesn't always happen, there's always a different thing, differences, but basically they are equipped for being an effective participant in this world. Let me explain that to you. First of all, the first S is safe. It's this idea that this child feels with their parents. The, the parents are like, I got you. 
I'm here for you. I will always be here for you. Safe, seen, that is understanding your child and responding appropriately to your child. I had five kids, and after, after when we got the second one, and when we got the second one, that sounds so clinical. Um, the second one, and then the third one, we realized they're different. Darn it, you know, they're different. We would hope they'd all just be little carbon copies because then we could just do what worked on the first one and just keep going. But they're different. And, and we had to realize we had to treat them differently. We had to work with them differently we, because each one is different. They, we wanted them to be seen, understanding your child and responding appropriately. The, the third S is soothed. That is, this child knows there's someone who comes alongside and comforts. It doesn't mean the pain's removed, but it means there's someone with me in my pain. And, and a couple of the child psychologists and the neurobiologists that deal with this, they say, we can, we can map that. We can see this happening. We can see this happening in their brain. They're still in pain, but someone they, who they know they're safe with comes alongside, hugs them, puts their arm around them, and they said, you can just see it as the child goes, okay, this hurts but mom's with me, dad's with me, this person, whoever it is, this person is with me in this. And then secure. Secure takes the first three and says what this does is it creates a foundation, a base for a child where a child can go out and try to do things, try new things. And they know if it goes wrong, they have this well of security to draw upon that reassures them that it's okay that it went wrong. You're not a failure. And so they're saying these four S's um, work very much in how, how a child, how it works with a child growing up and flourishing in this world. And then this guy, he's, he's a psychiatrist, but he goes, now, let's just look at the words of Christ and see over and over and over, Jesus is hitting the four S's with us. He's telling you, I got you. You're safe. I'm here for you. He's telling us, I see you. I see you. That's a scary thing sometimes. You, I see you. I see the innermost thoughts. I see the worst things you've done. I see the worst things you've think, thought of doing. And I still love you. I still love you in that. And then soothed. What? It doesn't take away the pain, but Jesus says, I'm with you in the pain. And I've experienced it too. And then secure. He says, if you will trust me, you can go out and do things. You can take steps. You can be dangerous. You can take risks of faith for me. And if it doesn't work, I still got you. I still see you. I still love you. And I'll soothe you in that pain. You can have this reassurance. So it doesn't mean he fixes all of our problems the way we would want them fixed. It means he offers us his peace in the midst of our problems. Just like a parent can't fix all the problems with their child, but they can be there for them. Jesus He's not saying to his disciples, I can see that what I'm talking about is distressing you. Okay, I'll change plans because if this bothers you so much, I don't want you to be uncomfortable about this. I won't go to the cross because I see how much pain that, that Friday and Saturday will cause you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I see the pain Friday and Saturday will cause you. But I'm going for Sunday. Sunday is what I'm here for. His presence is where the peace is. They have to go through Friday and Saturday to get to the resurrection. So it's relational. It's personal. Now, we know this concept intuitively. I mean, we know it. 
When my kids were little, if there was a bad thunderstorm, it would be, I felt like Maria Von Trapp, right? They would all come running in, knocking on the door, wanting to get, we had at that time, we had this huge king-size waterbed, and it would just be oh, kids jumping on the waterbed and saying, we're so scared, you know, hug us, hug us. And I mean, it's just, it, was, it was just like sound of music, you know? It'd be like, hello, Hansel and Gretel and Kurt and Bert and Sneezy and Wheezy and Bree, whatever their names were, you know, that, 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 that pre- and so what happened? Our presence was peace to our kids in the midst of the storm. Our presence, when, that, when the lightning was cracking close, you know, and the thunder was loud, they wanted to be with their parents. And I gotta tell you, that's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. That's how God is with you. He says, come to me, come to me in the storm because it's what's best for us. And God gets his joy out of that too. He derives pleasure out of us coming to him. After the resurrection, the disciples were in a room with the door locked and Jesus walks through and says, peace to them. Peace is available to you in the midst of your fears. What were their fears? They were fears, were fears fear of the authorities. Their fear was they, we failed. Their fear was the promise of the kingdom had gone wrong. Their fear was Jesus had abandoned them and forgotten them. Their fear was that he had let them down. They feared for their lives because oftentimes they've done, the authorities have done this for them. Somebody started leading as a resurrection. They killed the leader and then they killed all the top lieutenants, all the people who helped make that happen. And so they were afraid they were next. And he says, I give you my peace right now. Third thing. Peace is costly. He says, you heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I am. Now, Jesus here is correcting them. He's saying, you guys, you're thinking of yourself. It's like we say here all the time. It's not about you. Jesus is telling them, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about, it's about what's best. What's best for you? What's best for me? What's best for the whole world? And he said, you would be glad. They didn't understand that because they were just learning that sacrifice was involved and it was costly. And we understand that. You know, when my kids are hurt, especially really bad things, I wish I could take their pain. And I'm not noble. Any parent here would say that because that's what love is. See, true love, true love sees that the world does not revolve around your emotional fulfillment and well-being. In true love, you get fulfillment from the other person's fulfillment. You invest in others' joy. You find happiness in other people's happiness. Since we have been married, my wife has watched with me Monty Python, the Marx Brothers, the Three Stooges, Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel movies, Lord of the Rings. That's why she's gone happily with me to motorcycle dealerships and stood there while I drooled over different bikes. That's why she happily will stop with me at every historical marker because I just can't pass them. I just want to read them. And I know that drove my kids nuts. And she did it. She was investing her joy in my joy. And that's why I happily go on long walks on the beach with her instead of surfing. That is why I watch Sense and Sensibilities and Pride and Prejudice and Hallmark movies and the Newsies. 
That's the hard one. That's the hard one. And on and on. All of every British author that's written a romance novel and has been turned into a movie. I think I've seen it with my wife. Why? Because putting each other first produces joy in your life. That's how it works in personal relationships. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are unhappy, you're fearful, you're anxious because you're putting the wrong things first. He's not saying, look at me, look how important I am because he needs our approval or anything like that. It's because in him we find true joy and true peace. And to prove he did not need it, he put us first. And just let me say this. Living in the peace of Christ, the spirit is the key. You know, we all want like, okay, Bob, that sounds great. Give me the three things that I need to do to make peace happen in my life. It, does, it never works like that. That's not real life. But there are some suggestions, things to remember, things that point you in the right direction. First of all, the Holy Spirit is key. Jesus, right before this passage, was talking about the Spirit and how he works. He teaches us. He reminds us. He points to Jesus, and he, Jesus gives us that peace. So he's saying it's very important that you allow the Spirit. And how does that happen? As we, as we get into our, the Word of God, as we get into the Bible, the Spirit takes that, works it into our lives, changes our heart bit by bit from the inside out. So the Spirit is key. Secondly, remember it's a process. Just, that's just such a reminder that we need when we struggle and are worried. When we get saved, we don't suddenly become people who just have it all together. It's a process. Third thing to remember is peace is often connected with authority. Peace is often connected with authority. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Submit to the Prince. Colossians 3 says, let the let the peace of God rule. Philippians 4, let the peace of God guard. When we yield to Jesus in salvation, and then afterwards in our life, we're placing ourselves under his authority, and he has the authority, and he has the power to give us peace. He endured for us so that we could have the peace that enables us to endure. And remember this, always remember this, God is still doing something. God is still working. And things scary and tragic and awful. Sometimes we take our eyes off of Jesus, but remember, he's always working. He's always working in our lives. And he says, I have this peace for you. I have it. I have it. He goes, and as you yield and as you obey and as you serve and as you study, you, you will find it will grow in your life. I can testify to that in my own life. I don't have it down pat but I've seen what God can do in dealing with these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this peace. It all started in that manger that suddenly a whole new world opened up with peace available to us. So Father, I pray for each of us, you'd give us a hunger for that. You'd give us a hunger for growing, for not staying pat and stand still, but to grow and to push boundaries and to see what you can do when we yield our lives totally for you. Help us, Father, to keep that foremost in our mind as we get so easily distracted in this season. Help us to focus on Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.